but I had a chance to read chapter one of Ruth, I'd really encourage you to go back and read the two chapters uh, last week's and this week's uh, prior to us finishing off chapter three and four next week. Uh, but if you could have the passage opened uh, in front of you, it'll be a big help to me and I've got no doubt it will help you as well. So it's on page 267 and we'll turn to chapter two in a moment. Uh, also on the back of your sheets, we don't have uh, a talk outline today, but you will notice there is a QR code at the bottom of the page. Uh, and if you've got any questions, perhaps hanging over from last week's uh, time in chapter one of Ruth, or from anything I say or that's in the passage that we're looking at this evening, uh, that you'd like to ask, uh, get me to say a little bit further, clarify, expand on, then feel free to scan that with your phone and send that through over the course of the talk. Uh, and I think I'll have a, maybe a song and a bit of prayer time to have a quick glance at those questions. And if any do come through, we'll see if we can make a bit of sense of them together later on. Uh, well, I wonder if you've ever yourself felt marked as a bit of an outsider. Uh, if you've ever felt labelled in a way that kind of somehow sets you at a distance from others. Uh, perhaps it's one aspect of our family history. Uh, maybe it's a legacy of past decisions, good decisions, bad decisions, uh, that have maybe set us apart from those that we keep company with now. Perhaps even something that's been completely outside of our own sphere of control, something we can do nothing about. Maybe something that's happened to us that feels as if it's set us apart, distinct from others. Something maybe that even seems to alienate you, not only from others, maybe even from God himself. Uh, this theme or this idea of being alienated from those around us and even being alienated from God is one that was already there last week, but it certainly expresses itself with renewed vigour and potency in chapter 2 that we're looking at together this evening. Now, last week we reflected on Naomi. She was an Israelite, an Israelite widow. We reflected on her return from Moab to God, coming back to God, back to Israel, to the land that was her home. It was a bitter return, you might remember, a return to God that wasn't marked by any real sense of optimism or hope. She came back because she really figured she had nowhere else to go. It was a return to God, but with no expectation of him. Even so, you probably remember, Naomi didn't come back alone, did she? She returns to God's people with a very devoted daughter-in-law, Ruth. Who was, she tried to get Ruth to stay in her home country, but Ruth's insistent and comes back with her. Now, we're left a little bit unsure, I reckon, exactly how Naomi feels about Ruth. After all, Ruth is something of an unwelcome reminder to Naomi of her bitter journey away from God, from her disobedient decision to leave Israel and to go and look for greater life security in a foreign land, a land that really had no time for God. Ruth was also a bit of a reminder of everything she'd lost. Not only her own husband, but her two sons who had died as well while she was away from God in the land of Moab. Now, the first half of the book, you might have noticed this last week, almost every time Ruth is mentioned... She is labelled Ruth the Moabite, or Ruth the Moabitess. I think it happens a total of six times uh, this label gets slapped onto Ruth. Now, no one's that forgetful. We don't need the writer of Ruth to remind us six times explicitly that Ruth is a Moabitess. And it's not just a simple bare statement of fact. It signals that where Ruth comes from 
is a real point of ongoing and unresolved tension in this story. It really matters where this Ruth, this widow who returns with Naomi, Naomi has come from. Uh, and if we were really aware of our Old Testaments, it wouldn't be surprising why this particular aspect of who Ruth is has been pointed out. Uh, have a look with me at the, up on the screen. It's a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 23. A bit of God's word that was given to his people just as they were getting ready to go into the promised land of Israel that God was giving them. And as they were getting to go in, God laid out for them what was to shape their life there in the land. And some of these uh, are the words that God spoke. He said to them, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Notice that one of the reasons the Moabites were not welcome amongst God's people Israel was because they refused to show hospitality and kindness to God's people when they were fleeing slavery from Egypt. They were coming out of Egypt They'd been knocked around by 40 years in the wilderness and the Moabites decided they weren't going to do anything to lift a finger to help the Israelites. In fact, the Moabites went so far as to try and engage someone to come and cast a curse on Israel uh, so that they wouldn't get in their way or be a trouble to them. No wonder that Naomi had tried so insistently to discourage Ruth from returning to Israel with her. Naomi was bringing back with her a Moabite asylum seeker. Mightn't it appear that she's somehow now showing hospitality to the very people who had heartlessly denied her own people in their time of desperate need? Let's pick up the story with uh, how it travels on. Um, We'll read a little bit of last week's passage. Look with me to chapter 1, verse 22, uh, and we'll see how this return, how Naomi's return with Ruth the Moabite... Uh, how it pans out. Chapter 1, verse 22 is where I'll read and into chapter 2. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. The desperate vulnerability of these two widows, Naomi and Ruth, is immediately clear, isn't it? That their survival depends upon picking up leftover grain that's left aside as the harvest carries on. But Ruth's actions aren't simply an expression of desperation here. It isn't as if she's simply resorting to dumpster diving, you know, like just finding the nearest bin and that's how desperate they are. They'll take whatever scraps they can pull out of the bin round the back of the shops. Now, even though Ruth is supposed to be a godless Moabite, foreigner, an illegal alien, 
Her actions here actually display an unexpected display of trust and faith in God's goodness and kindness. It's a display of extraordinary faith, actually, that even Naomi, her Israelite mother-in-law, even she didn't have the capacity for what Ruth is doing at this point. You see, in Israel, God had instituted special laws, particular laws, that allowed for the foreigners and the poor who were living amongst them to go into someone else's field unmolested and gather and harvest some of the crops. It was enshrined in their laws. It was a practice that the scriptures call gleaning. Uh, Let me give you a little example of one of these gleaning laws. This is from Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, These uh, instructions are given to those who are landowners. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. The promised land, the land of Israel, was supposed to be a place of blessing, a place in which even the rank outsider had access to some of God's generosity, even if they had no claim on it. For those who are foreigners in Israel, who own no land of their own, gleaning gave them the opportunity to enjoy the same blessing as God's insiders, as the Israelites did, as God's own people. These laws will remind Israel to be generous to outsiders, just as God had been generous to them when they were outsiders, slaves in the land of Egypt. And notice, it's Ruth, the Moabite, the despised outsider, not Naomi the Israelite, who first entrusts herself to this aspect of God's generosity. Now, you might have thought, coming back to the land of Israel, Naomi would be the one to say, let's go out into the fields and glean. God has given us this this law in order to make sure that we're looked after. No, but it's Ruth the Moabite who recognises God's goodness and provision and takes the initiative at this point. Uh, Have a look with me at how this pans out again. We'll we'll kick off again from verse 3, which I read a moment ago, and continue on. Verse 3. We read, So Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. It just so happened that Ruth cluelessly stumbles into a field belonging to her dead husband's extended family. 
Ruth's good fortune is at first presented as just a lucky coincidence, although as the story pans out, it's quite obvious that that's not at all the case, and maybe the several mentions of Elimelech right up at the front at the start of the chapter as well. This is no dumb luck that Ruth is experiencing at this point. For some unexplained reason, Boaz allows Ruth not only to glean, that is not just to gather up the the scraps that are left over at the end as the harvesters have gone through, he offers Ruth the kind of protection and access normally reserved only for the women of his own household or those women who are working for him. Even more than that, Boaz offers to have water drawn for her from his own well. Uh, When the patriarch Jacob drew water from the well for Rachel, it was an action that as good as implied an intended marriage proposal. And Jesus himself had startled a foreign Samaritan woman at Jacob's well when he offered her a drink. Uh, It was a drink from the water of eternal life, of course. Sometimes the offer of a drink is more than just the offer of a drink. And so we're getting these little signals that that's where this story perhaps might be heading as well. But how will it get there? Uh, Have a look with me at verse 10 from chapter 2, and we'll continue on. Verse 10. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Ruth actually had no right to really even be amongst God's people in Israel, no claim on it anyway. She didn't expect to be treated even as well as one of Boaz's slave women, let alone to enjoy the privileges of an Israelite widow. Yet not only does Ruth find herself eating at her master's table, even after eating all she wants, she still, we're told, has plenty left over afterwards, after she's eaten her full. It kind of perhaps brings to mind those moments in Jesus' own ministry when he miraculously provided food for people, and as if it wasn't enough to satisfy all their hunger, there was more left over that exceeded the need or the hunger of those that he had compassion on. So that same vibe is here with Boaz. Ruth even ends up with the hired workers actually working for her. I wonder if you noticed that. They actually end up effectively harvesting for her. They're actually to go along and when they say pick up the harvest as they harvest the the grain, 
they're to take out some of the sheaves of wheat that they've just harvested and lay them on the ground behind them so Ruth can just pick them up. They're effectively working for her. God's kindness plays out for Naomi and Ruth in ways that neither would have ever expected or imagined. In verse 12, Boaz explains that Ruth has experienced such kindness not because she has some respectable religious background or some approved spiritual status that puts her on an equal footing with the Israelites around about her. No, but simply because she has sought refuge under God's protective wings. Naomi the Israelite had sought refuge from famine by going to Moab. And both her and Ruth had ended up empty. Here we see that Ruth the Moabitess seeks refuge in the God of Israel and both her and Naomi end up more than full. Ruth ends up being more of a genuine faithful Israelite than her mother-in-law Naomi actually had been. Perhaps there are some of us who have as low expectations of God's kindness as Naomi did. We reflected a little bit on that last week. Feeling like aliens perhaps to God, unworthy imposters who have no reason to really expect a share even in the scraps of God's kindness. But Boaz's words to Ruth, the Moabitess, remind us that it's not our religious background, it's not our spiritual history that secures anything of God's generosity towards us, but simply a humble willingness on our part to seek refuge under His wings of kindness. Very similar, it seems to me, to the kind of words that Jesus Himself speaks about it being those who come like children who will receive God's kindness and care, bringing nothing completely dependent on God's gracious character. Uh, In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, he describes our experience as Christians as being very similar to Ruth's own experience. I wonder if you noticed this as we read from Ephesians earlier on this evening. Uh, It's up there on the screen. I'll read a little section for you from Ephesians chapter 2. There Paul wrote, "'Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel,' and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And then just a few verses later, in verse 19, Paul concludes, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Now, despite being rightly labelled as a foreign Moabite, Ruth ends up sharing in the blessings of God's people through Boaz. She isn't just treated like a citizen of Israel, someone who has the right to glean around the edges of the field, she got to actually sit at the table of Boaz himself. And likewise, in the words of the Apostle Paul, there is no one who is so foreign to God, there are none of us so alienated or distanced from God that we can't also draw near and enjoy His, enjoy his kindness through the Lord Jesus. Instead, in the final instalment of Ruth's story that we'll look at next week, we'll be given even more reason to see Boaz as something of a Jesus figure, 
as someone who mediates the kindness of God towards those who have actually gotten no reason to expect anything of it at all. And of course, we know the way in which the Lord Jesus did that at cost to himself, as is referenced in that Ephesians passage, and we'll reflect on this a little bit more next week, because this kindness that Boaz has begun to show to Ruth will come at a cost to him as well, a significant cost to him and his own status, at least there's a threat of it. And the Lord Jesus gave up all of his status and standing in order to show the same kind of kindness to us. Now, of course, the kindness that God shows Ruth, particularly through Boaz, doesn't just magically erase the very real history of hurt and pain that she and Naomi had suffered. But God's kindness through Boaz was enough for Ruth to wonder out aloud. I wonder if you notice in verse 10, she, she sees what's happened. She, she wonders to herself, why have I found f- such favour in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And God's kindness through Boaz was enough to provoke even the bitter Naomi to exclaim, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. That was in verse 20. God's kindness in Boaz wasn't a magic pill that automatically extinguished all hardship or bitterness from Naomi and Ruth's experience. But just as Naomi and Ruth experienced with Boaz, God's kindness through Jesus can assure us that God does not stop caring for his people, that he has not forgotten us, that he is unfailingly attentive to us in the midst of our helplessness that he notices even those who most appear to be a foreigner to God's kindness and attentions. God's kindness rarely transforms our experience of life into something that is forever carefree from that point on. I dare say that probably all of us could give testimony to that out of those of us who followed the Lord Jesus so far. But for those who are willing to seek shelter under the mighty span of God's wings, there is an assurance that God's kindness can begin to ease our bitterness and our shame. For he doesn't only offer us the privileges of citizenship in his kingdom, but he even welcomes us as precious members of his own household as well. And we'll begin to grapple with a little bit the depth of the kindness that Boaz shows to Ruth next week it's far more than just giving her what the lord demanded of him and we'll see that the same extravagance of kindness shapes the way in which the the lord jesus shows kindness to us as well at great cost to himself Uh, let's pray father we confess that there are times in which we not only feel alienated from one another perhaps, from others around about us. There are times in which we feel alienated from you as well. We question whether or not there is really an avenue for us to access, to enjoy, to to taste your kindness and your goodness and faithfulness. Father, we praise you for the example of Ruth that we see in this evening's passage who, though she had no right to expect it, boldly entrusted herself to you and as a result began to taste something of the generosity that you showed not only to your people but even to those who were foreigners and father we thank you that the 
Apostle Paul has assured us in Ephesians that we who were once far away from you can likewise be drawn near through the Lord Jesus. Drawn near not just as fellow countrymen, but as members of your own household. Father, we pray for those who came to church this evening feeling alienated or distanced from you. Father, we ask that you might lead them away this evening with the Lord Jesus there at the forefront of their mind as one who holds out to them a welcome into your household. And Father, perhaps for those of us who have forgotten just what you've done to draw us near in and through your Son, we ask that you would continue to coax us back under the wings of your kindness, that our confidence, our hope might be placed in your generous and gracious character rather than in whatever history it might be that lies behind us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.